Yep. Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime pop- <laughs> A true crime podcast. <laughs> I was going to say a true crime, crime episode. <laughs> On this podcast. Uh, <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Proof that we do not pre-record our intros. <laughs> we thought about doing that before. It just, it never worked out and I never figured out and it's just way too late in the game now to like figure out how to do a sound bite and do it like over and over again. So. And it takes us literally five seconds yep. to do the intro so unless we're, like, we're gonna do it. you mess it up. Well, okay, hello, not me today. I wasn't saying Pop-cast. you. Like, I was saying you as in unless one of us. Okay. Because I just messed it up. All right. You have no idea what I'm doing today. No. Which is always super scary. And I've talked about this before. And one day it's like, going to happen. Someday it's going to happen or we're like, no fucking way. Um, so, today I'm not doing a case are you doing a place are you doing a haunted location kind of oh, i'm yeah. doing i'm doing hauntings yes and curses yes and just objects that seem to carry bad luck with them oh my god i'm so excited i yeah. was gonna do a haunting episode and now yeah. i'm really excited you're doing one so i so a lot of these stories there's gonna be multiple stories and different items that have either carried a curse with them or have some kind of urban legend that's following them. Are they all viewable at the Zach Baggins Museum? No. Oh, that's unfortunate. But I'll tell you where okay. they're at, though, if they still exist. So, Have we decided if we would go to the Zach Baggins Museum? I would go. I would 100% Was go. I on the fence last time we talked about I this? Because so. I feel on the fence yeah, right now. Because okay. we know they have the Dybbuk box. I and... know, but I'm like not super keen on walking to a building filled Ugh. with evil items. Like, if it was one... Yeah. But, like, a building of them? Well, let me tell you about these things, because some of these places, I'm like, I 100% would never have thought I would have looked forward to going to some of these places where they're stored now, and I'm like, uh, I would think about it now. Let's do it. So. I'm so excited. um, I'm going to start you off. And a lot of these, um, they're kind of. Okay, I'm just going to go through the stories. We'll take it with a grain of salt. You know, some of these things are a little bit of a stretch, but I found them at the very least interesting. So I thought they would be worth telling. The first item or items that I'm going to tell you about are the crying boy paintings. I don't know if you've heard of these. And if you no. stop, if you have, then don't stop me because I'm still telling you. Okay. But <laughs> So the crying boy paintings, uh, they were made by a Spanish artist called Bruno Amadio, but he had the pen name of Giovanni Bergolin, which isn't that the Catch Me Outside girl's last name? (laughs) Oh, it's Bergoli, I think. I don't, I was never a fan of her, so I have no idea. Yeah, neither was I. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It hurts me. It hurts me on a, like, a physical level. So, after World War II... It, so a lot of these are, of course, like tales that have somehow, I'm sure came from a place of some truth and maybe got exaggerated over time. But I'm going to tell you what I found. So the story goes that he was an artist that after World War II, he completed a series of paintings that depicted children crying. Small little children that you could 
tell from the painting they had been through a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. He painted over 60 different children where it looks like they're crying or they're just sad, both boys and girls, usually around three or four of age. And it's a close-up shot of their face. So you can really tell the detail. And if you, you know, let yourself immerse into the art form of it, you can almost feel the sorrow that was supposed to be depicted into the painting. What so dark, like, studio to have filled with children yes. crying. So, um... And the subject on one of his on one of his paintings was this what he called a little street urchin um, that he came across in Madrid in the 1960s. I was going to ask if they were like painted based Actual on real kids. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the young boy was a mute orphan with a sorrowful expression that instantly captivated the artist and he felt like he needed to draw him Amario uh, sorry Amadio had stopped to paint the child and a Catholic I'm so sorry a Catholic priest stopped when he saw that he was painting the kid and told him that he needed to immediately stop and gave him a warning he said that that boy whose name was Don Benio had ran away after seeing his parents die in a fire Since then, there's been fires that have been following this kid, and they would have unknown origins. And it happened so much that he was given the nickname of Diablo, which translates to the devil. Yeah. And the priest warned Amadio against having anything to do with this child, but Amadio ignored the priest and adopted the boy. So he brought Don Benio home with him to live with him and to finish out the rest of the crying boy series six months after the kid living with him his studio was burned in a fire with his paintings Mm -hmm. oh my gosh but at this point the paintings had become so popular that they'd been mass produced at at one point over 50,000 prints had been sold in the UK alone. Oh, wow. So, tons. People were really captivated by these paintings. They were, they're really, really good. Um, but What are they called again? The Crying... Crying Boy. The Crying Boy. I'm gonna, I just want to yep. see what it looks like. Oh, oh. Right? Poor thing. So... He's a little cutie. He's super cute. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's easy to look at and you can definitely appreciate the artful, like, um, you know, the art uh, expression behind it. Yeah. The, the, how good the art is. So. Yeah, you, it really, like, it's not uncomfortable to look at. It just looks like a little boy who's, like, right. genuinely sad. Right. Like, you just stole his candy. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so. <laughs> totally. That was earlier on in, in um, so that was in the 60s. Um, and then... By 1985, there was May and Ron Hall, and they had a home in Rotherham. I'm totally butchering that, and I'm sorry. But they had a home that was destroyed by fire. Everything was destroyed in the house except one thing. That was the painting of the crying boy, which was still hung up on the living room wall. 
Everything else burnt down but that. And then after responding to that fire, a firefighter claimed that he had responded to 15 home fires where the only thing that remained was that painting. Oh, eerie. Mm-hmm. So after that came out on the news, it was, I believe, it came out on the 1985 article of The Sun, which mm. is like a tabloid-type yeah. newspaper. And But more people started coming forward. So there was a woman in Surrey who lost her home to a fire six months after buying the painting. Excuse me. So this is even like the ones that are mass produced that are causing. Oh yeah, no, okay. the mass produced ones yeah, for sure. Not just the original. No, yeah. So two sisters in Kilburn had fires in their homes after buying a copy of the painting. One sister even claimed to have seen her painting sway backwards and forwards on the wall. So not side to side like with the wall, but like away into the wall. Oh weird. Yeah. A concerned woman on the Isle of Wight attempted to burn her painting without success and then went on to suffer a run of bad luck. So not only the fires, but people attributed their bad luck to it as well. Mm -hmm. And they also, I guess some people started believing that if they try to get rid of it or if they tried to take it out of their home, that would also bring bad luck to them. So, so damned like, if there's, you do, right. damned if you don't. Exactly. Just don't buy a gentleman in Nottingham who possessed a print of the painting lost his home and his family were all injured. A pizza parlor in Norfolk. Norfolk? Norfolk. Wow. Norfolk. <laughs> Norfolk. That's it. Yep. Yep. Was <laughs> this L. This, that L is fucking me up. Uh, was destroyed, including every painting on its walls except the crying boy. Oh. So why people believe that it's cursed, um, it's because there's a lot of stories that come behind it. But they thought that the kid, um, little Mr. Uh, Don Bonillo, was a gypsy child um, who had placed a curse on the artist. And that he later, as a teenager, also died in a fiery car crash. Um and let's see. And then so anyone that had this image of him would carry the curse because he was fascinated by fire. I, although I don't think that him dying in a car crash that resulted in a fire was per se caused by him. Like he didn't start that fire himself. Okay. So so obviously everyone, um, especially the readers of The Sun, there was a panic because all these houses are starting to, you know, everyone seemed to attribute house fires to that. Of course, there's a simple explanation to some of them. Uh, the firefighters would say, you know, it's people un leaving pants unattended or not cleaning the soot out of fireplaces, and that's why their houses are burning down. Although they really did not have a clear explanation as to why only this painting was surviving. Mm -hmm. So because of all this panic and all this frenzy, the sun put together a, um, they put out a, an article saying, if you're really worried about this curse that we've been talking about this or about this painting, send us your paintings and we will destroy them for you. So in Halloween of 1985, 
they collected thousands of copies that people had sent into the newspaper. And there were so many that they didn't think they were going to have such a big response. They made this huge spectacle of it. So in Halloween of 1985, they had a huge bonfire burning all of these pictures. And there's pictures of this. So I'll show you that oh as well. Oh my gosh. And then later on, because the the story continues, of course, of the crying boy, I went into Reddit and I read some articles on this as well, or people posting about it. And they said that, um, you know, they do and they don't believe about it, uh, on it. And of course, they have like, you know, grandmas or aunts, whatever, that have this painting in their house and they've had a string of bad luck. Uh, one lady said that she doesn't know what to do with the painting. She was just moving her grandma's estate and she found a painting of Jesus in front of the crying boy painting. So they were together. Um, so they were all in one frame, but it was Jesus covering the crying boy painting. So at some point she doesn't know if her grandma, her grandma like covered it on purpose or was just using the frame or specifically used the image of Jesus to like contradict the curse or something. Oh, no. <laughs> so she's like, now I don't know what to do with it. Um, drop them off a goodwill tape together right, right just drop them off donation um but there is a video on youtube and so for those that want to think you know this could be debunked and whatnot um it might to a certain extent so there is a person who lights fire to one of the paintings with frame and all and only the corners char on it not the actual full painting so it said that... What if there's a manufacturer that's making them, like, with an anti-flammable something That's exactly what they think is happening. Okay. <laughs> that whoever was the mass producer on them, inadvertently, the shine on them or the gloss on it to protect the print on it was a fire retardant. So oh, okay. they might not be able to burn, but the string that was holding the frames that came with it is was very flammable so a lot of the times on these house fires where the frame was found on the floor face down would have been a result of the fire itself burning the string holding it onto mm. the wall it would fall face down and because it's fire retardant the fire would engulf it but would do nothing to it because it's fire retardant so um that's why it would be found face down with not a scratch on it what happened to the pile that the sun burned those burned Okay. Which is contradictory contradictory yeah. to they're not flammable. And the sun's like publishing office didn't go up in flames after that? No. Weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the legend of the crying boy paintings. So if you see one at Goodwill or something, don't pick it up. <laughs> I would just say just... Also, Good measure. Like, nobody, do not get a photo of a random boy crying. Like, that's not going to bring you happy <laughs> it's thoughts. It's not going to be great. Like, like Marie Kondo says, does this bring me joy? Like, no. <laughs> no. So do not buy it. Joy. Do not buy it. And, you know, I, I was, uh, one of the posts on Reddit was that, you know, this, I think it sounded like a male or um, was saying that he was very depressed. He didn't realize it, but he had just bought this painting and he just found this out he, f he bought the painting like five months ago and he's had like five months of really bad depression. And I think someone looking in just told him what seems logical. They're like, maybe get rid of the painting because if you're in a bad state and you're seeing a 
crying painting, it's probably child. not helping your mental health. For sure. Maybe just replace it with something happy. Yeah. That or sounds like solid advice to so, me. So, yeah. It's just one of those things where, like, eh, it could be cursed and it also just could be just like the sad image that's not <laughs> bringing you joy. Yeah. So, there's that. So, that's the story of the crying boy paintings. So kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, this next one is not a th- tangible thing. Is there a theme to these or are they just kind of randomly pulled? Randomly pulled. Okay. Yeah. So um, this one is not, it's not tangible. Okay. It's the cursed Belgian. Wow. I cannot speak most of the time, but Belgian phone number. Supposedly cursed Belgian phone number is 0888-888-888. Somebody try that right now. Pause and try <laughs> so that phone wait, number. That's only if you're in Belgium, though. I know. Try it right now. If you're There's, in Belgium. I know. There, I know. <laughs> I know I we have Belgian know that there are people out there. So I believe that if you're within the country, you would have to dial 0 Three five nine zero eight 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 eight. If you're outside the country, you have to dial zero eleven to get out of the country, and then zero three five nine eight 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 eight. So, depending on where you are, if you're able to try it, please report back. Someone try it. <laughs> Someone try it right now. So the first owner or the first person that was issued this phone number. He was actually the CEO of the company Mobitel, or Mtel, which is just a phone company. His name is Vladimir Grashnov, was. And so he was the first one to own it. Obviously, he's using his company um, to provide him this service. Uh, but unfortunately, he, he died of cancer in 2001. And... <laughs> This is before there was ever uh, an idea of a curse on this phone number, but there was a lot of rumors that it had been caught. The cancer had been caused by business rivals using radioactive poisoning on him. Okay, which is a little stretch, but like via the telephone, like twice is a coincidence, and like three times is a pattern, though, right? So it happened again. So after his passing, a that number was then assigned to Konstantin Dimitrov. And this was in 2003, on December 6, 2003. He was killed in the Netherlands. He was outside the Amsterdam Diamond Center, which is like one of the hugest diamond trading places you can go to. He had gone to check on some of his mafia investments. Can't say that this has to do with a phone number, honestly. So, <laughs> those are poor decision making. <laughs> he, of course, had his phone on him because at this point, um, it is a cell phone. Okay. And he, uh, his investments at that time were worth $500 million. Um, and he was gun- gunned down by Russian mafias. So, again, just coincidence, these two people have the same phone number. I mean, that is that is a hell of a coincidence. But then there's this third account. So then after Konstantin Dimitrov passed away in 2003, 
It was, the number was then assigned to another Constantine, but his name was Constantine Deshliev. And in 2005, he was a 28-year-old real estate entrepreneur. And he was in Bulgaria's capital of Sofia, and he was gunned down outside of an Indian restaurant. The case is still unsolved as to who exactly carried out this murder. But again, some of those people that want to debunk the idea that it's the phone number, that there's any coincidence with this phone number, say that he was also related to mafia transactions. So there's that out there. So because of these three instances that at the very least, what these three men had in common was at least a phone number, the telephone company suspended the telephone number. I can't believe the telephone company even realized got wind that of that. that was a pattern. Right? I also keep waiting for you to be like, it became a sex hotline or something <laughs> like that. So supposedly right now, if you call it, it there's an automated message that tells you it's outside of network coverage that they just don't cover that phone number anymore. But there is a lot of YouTube videos out there of people trying to call this number to get a response. But like I mentioned at the beginning of this, if you're not in the country, if you just dial 0888, etc., you're not going to get any type of response because you're not dialing into the correct codes that you need to, like outside of your country first and into the country and then the phone number. So if you have a bunch of kids here in the U.S. trying to call that number, it's not going to work unless you do it correctly. So I think a lot of the YouTube videos, they're waste of time because they're not even doing it correctly right so i couldn't find any youtube videos of people actually dialing it correctly Mm -hmm. so i kind of moved on because i was like i'm not going to get an actual result of what happens when you call that number because they're not calling it you're like correctly. i am over your stupidity i am over this (laughs) yeah also if you do try it we are not responsible for your phone bill thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) just want to throw that out there but if you're in belgium um let us know yeah Yeah. report back (laughs) there's your mission you know who you are week (laughs) um okay so this next one i have it's it's not so much an item as it is a straight-up person a haunted person a haunted person a haunted living person no so a ghost no a zombie (laughs) okay go ahead a mummy Okay. Yeah. Right? I know. We didn't even go there. So, so this is, so back in 1991, there was the remains, I guess the mummified body of a male recovered in the French Alps. No, hold on. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, in the alps in northern italy um it's it was in a high remote area and there were the first oh hold on what what happened here okay so the start the the story of otzi is the iceman that was discovered on september 19th 1991 and this was in the Alps between the Australian and Italian border. He was a male mummified body, completely whole, that was found in beneath the snow. 
Oh my god, hold on. This is ringing a bell to me. Is he tattooed? Mm, I don't know. I didn't look at his... So these two German tourists, Helmut and Erica Simon, who had discovered the body, made this gruesome discovery. And so quickly, there were both Austrian and Italian authorities trying to come in and take ownership of this great discovery. Of course, I'm sure that having a discovery like this would bring a lot of money, a lot of notoriety to their research and etc. So you said Otzi the Iceman, right? Mm -hmm. He is the first known person. I remember this from when I did my training. He's the first known person to have tattoos. That's where they think tattoos originated from, oh. potentially. I so, remember this in my instruction manual. Oh, that's, that's weird. That's why I was like, my brain was like, Where's wait a minute, Otzi? I know this name. So I didn't know that, but it looks like he likely died between somewhere between 3,239 and 3,105 BCE. So before Christ existed. Yeah. Um, his remains were stunningly preserved because he was encased in ice. He was preserved in cold. So, um, he was, he was, he would become, wow. He, so that he would be called Otzi the Iceman. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, that led to a legal fight between Austria and Italy, but not long after, um, Kurt Fritz, the mountaineer who led Hen to Otzi's body, died in an avalanche. He was an experienced climber who knew the area very well, and he was the only one of his entire group that went hiking that day to be struck by this avalanche in 2004. He disappeared in the Alps, but due to the snowy conditions, it took eight days to discover his body and he had fallen more than 300 feet to his death. A few months after Fritz died, the only man granted access to film Otzi's removal from the mountain was the Austrian journalist Rainier Holzel, and he died at age 47 of a brain tumor. And everyone said that, I mean... <sighs> Cancer is always unexpected for someone, mm -hmm. but seemingly he lived a healthy, happy life before this. Um, and this was only months after he had released an hour-long documentary on the excavation of Otzi from the mountain. So things keep happening to the people, not to everyone that has access to him, um, but to a lot of the people that have the closest access to Otzi and okay. to the research into him. So, and then there's Helmut Simon, the person that originally discovered him. And he was also found dead, frozen near, frozen in ice near the same area that Otzi had been discovered, but in 2004. Okay. So some 13 years later, around the same spot, he had fallen to his death due to a freak blizzard. Okay. Within an hour of Helmut Simon's funeral, Dieter Warnicke, the head of the mountain rescue team that was sent to find him, died of a heart attack. And then the following year, archaeologist Conrad Spindler 
who first inspected Ossie's remains and publicly scoffed at the curse, saying, you know, this is all media hype, we don't believe anything, or I don't believe anything. And then he said, the next thing you will be saying is that I'll be next. He died of complications of multiple sclerosis that year. Ooh. Yeah. Did he have MS before? I couldn't find anything as far as um, his condition, either at the time he made the statement or, or either prior. I don't know how fast it evolved or developed. Um, what I what I did find is that when his colleagues were asked for comments on either his passing or the timing of his passing, they all chose to say that they did not want to comment on it because they didn't want to bring more spectacle to that aspect of his passing to diminish any of the work that he had done in his career. Like they didn't want to add to like the whole skepticism of what happened or why what his death was about that makes me think that the ms was like very sudden and aggressive because if they could have easily debunked it by saying this is something you struggled with for years it had nothing to do with that yeah so maybe sudden and yeah like you said very aggressive and very fast moving so and last but not least dr tom loy loy carried out the actual dna analysis on otzi pizza piecing together the Stone Age story that his death, um, about his death and debunking the theory that he died alone because he found DNA elements of other human blood on Otzi's clothing. So he proved that he not only died of an arrow shot to the back, um, but it was obviously during some kind of battle where either he interacted with other people or there was other people around him at the time of his death. So he wasn't just like walking around and got shot type of thing. Okay. Um, so, and Dr. Tom Loy was also at the end of finishing a book about him. Um, and then he was found in his home in Brisbane, dead at the age of 63. There's no real reason as to his reason of death. Um, but he was in fair health. He was 63. He was one of seven children. Um, so it at least makes you think about the pattern that happened to many of the scientists, journalists, um, photographers, or just anyone in general that studied Otzi, um, because otherwise they likely would have had maybe longer lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is currently in, he's in a refrigerated room at the South Tyrol Archaeological Museum in Bolzano, Italy, Italy. He attracts about 300,000 visitors a year. Wow. So just the curse. A lot of people believe that it's the curse of him um, that he brings to people that disturbed his slumber. So Interesting. That's the idea behind the curse. The, uh, um, going back to his tattoos, the other thing is like people are trying to figure out what they mean. Because ah. there's like a bunch of, they're like a bunch of perpendicular lines and nobody quite knows like what the meaning of Kills, them was. Duh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's interesting that. He had 61 um, tattoos. Oh, shit. So he is the first documented human being to have tattoos on them. Um, and I think like, you can definitely the, still see them. He's also just the full, the first and oldest human being whole that we have mm-hmm. been able to research so that's very interesting 
Yeah, they said that it's, I mean, it was basically hand poke, like you, they're poked yeah, yeah, yeah. holes. And then um, said that they, it looks like it was like charcoal rubbed into them. Oh, that makes um, sense. That's like prison tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> let me see. I mean, because prison tattoos, they usually gather like soot from stuff. They usually like burn a lighter really close to stuff. Why do I know this? It says that they are organized into 19 different groups, and each group of tattoos is a set of horizontal or vertical lines. Some are parallel, some are perpendicular, some are actually intersecting. Um, And they tend to be clustered around the lower back and joints, where they said that he suffered from joint and spinal degeneration, which is interesting. Oh, weird. I wonder if it was uh, like a medicinal thing. This is what they look like. Oh, interesting. It's so funny because I, when I was training, um, for those of you who don't know, I've started a career in permanent cosmetics. When I was training and Amory was going over this stuff with me, I literally circled this story and started it because I was like, I'm going to cover this one day. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea that he was like, uh, cursed. Yeah. Possibly cursed. Crazy. That's crazy though. Yeah. That it's, it, um, it, also, it almost makes me think of, like, acupuncture. And that's what they're kind of describing it as. as yeah. is like, uh, when I Google it, it's like, uh, Otzi the Iceman tattoos, Otzi the Iceman acupuncture, Otzi the Iceman this or that. But, yeah, they said, they did find some over his chest that they said, like, could they didn't see any, like, health issues there. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't having chest pain or something like mm. that. That maybe just didn't present itself in the heart or whatever. right, right. Huh. Otzi, Otzi. I didn't even look him up because I was like, oh, it's nothing about his features that is the curse. I'm like, it's just the, you know, his whole body. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even Google him. So I'm sure if I would have Googled, like, his tattoos or something. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's funny that, because you, I literally as soon as was I like, said it, I was my like. My brain was like, I know that name. I was like, where's your brain going? <laughs> as soon as I said Otzi, I literally, like, I'm going to send you a picture because I have it circled as like a story to cover. That's funny. Okay. So this last one, it's, um, I think the most intriguing, at least it was to me while I was researching. Um, and, and it also makes me think of Britney Spears. Okay. <laughs> Which is just so, so, so random. Um, but it's, oops, I did it again. You know how there's a guy talking to her about he went and got the heart of the ocean. And she's like, I thought the old lady threw it over the edge. And when I went down and got her for you. Do you have no idea what I'm talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I do. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll probably open up the episode with that. Just so I forgot that there bell. was that at the beginning of that. Yeah, because it's yeah. like before the song starts, there's like this little story that they, they try to put in here. Because I think it was right around Titanic time, at least the movie that they um, came out with this song. So this Wait, last one. This was at the beginning of Oops, I Did It Again? Yeah. Are you sure? Because that's the one in the school. Are you sure it's not oh, no, no, Hit no, Me no, Baby? No. What was I? Sorry. This is what I was thinking of. My brain is not okay today. With, oh, with uh, Hit Me Baby one more time? Yeah. I knew Oops, I Did It Again was the one in the red. But in my brain, I was thinking the schoolgirl outfit. And I was like, no, it's the red outfit that she does that. Not the schoolgirl outfit. 
Hold on, here it is. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute, isn't this? Yeah, yes it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it into the ocean immediately. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. Yes, I was confusing my outfits with my songs, and I'm very upset with myself. Um, That's okay. That'll po- this will probably go in the beginning. But I have good. been working all day long, so... So, this next one is Hope Diamond, a.k.a. Le Bleu de France. Ooh, that AKA sounded good. the Tavernier Bleu. That sounded good, too. A.k.a. Le Bijou de Roy. Now you're showing off. Okay. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> Good for you. Um, or The Heart of the Ocean or Hope Diamond. It's gone by many many names. Is this a Titanic diamond? Well, and, and, and I looked into that, um, and I will touch on that. Okay. Okay. All right. But keep the Titanic diamond in mind, because the idea of, like, this big, huge, gigantic, like, not one person should have size kind of diamond is the idea behind the Titanic diamond so and it's blue so they used the idea of the hope diamond in the movie titanic is the one blue in the titanic or isn't it yellow mm, because it's the heart of the ocean so it we shall google yep titanic i can't even spell titanic diamond wow i had to look at that for a really long time it's blue you're right Because it's the heart of the ocean. I just watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. So that diamond is very stuck in my head. That yellow. Yeah. Like a near yellow. Yeah, that was a really pretty necklace. There is so much backstory to the Hope Diamond. And there is a reason why there's so much supposedly known backstory to the Hope Diamond. So for centuries, for centuries, it's been owned and passed down and stolen and somehow ended up in very in a lot of important collections for jewelers or people that just like to have expensive things and of monarchs and just celebrities. So it's been around the world and back a couple times. So legend has it that this actual diamond was in the eye of a statue of the goddess of Sita or Sita, which is the wife of Rama in India. And a thief gouged the diamond out, and after stealing it, he was then robbed himself, and the diamond went to Jacques Collette. So I thought you were going to be like, Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. So the thief, the original thief, the legend says that he only, his fat fortune was that he was robbed himself. Nothing else is more known about that. Okay. And then as far as the next person who, the one that robbed it from the thief, (laughs) Jacques Colette, Colette was killed himself. Um, And he, after that, and again, the, the middle, like how it changed hands is unknown. There's no um, history, you know, written history about how it passed hands. But after that, it was, it resurfaced in the hands of a Russian prince. After that, it was a Turkish sultan. And then after that, it was a royal jeweler. We don't know any history of those people. But a lot, and then after that, um, like I said, it was likely stolen a lot of the times. When 
it comes back up into when there's like written history about it. Uh, the next person to own it was Jean-Baptiste Tavernier. That's why at some point it's referred to as a Tavernier Blue. It was his namesake. It was at that point 115.16 carat diamond. That is ginormous and a very good quality. Yeah. So he got into some trouble and it was sold to King. I didn't know if this is it Louis? Louis Louis. King Louis. So King Louis the Fourteenth. And King Louis the Fourteenth. Sorry, in my head I'm thinking like Rocky Ten, one and five. Oh see, I was thinking <laughs> of the jungle book. Oh, that's what the me. monkey King is King Louis. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Um he died in 1715. He died of a very painful and stinky bout of gangrene. Ooh. Yeah. And almost every legitimate child that he had died. Now, I will say that in that time in history, 1715, the child mortality rate was like super high just because kids would yeah. have a lot of disease and medically we weren't there yet. So... The odds of a kid surviving past, you know, I think toddler age was very low, but the they are attributing this curse onto his why his children never lived that past that point. You know, they said the same thing of um, King Henry, was it the eighth, that he like he got an infection in his leg that like festered and never healed and it <sighs> smelled really really bad yeah he was the one that was married to Anne Boleyn mm. and it, apparently it was just freaking foul yeah I, I can yeah. imagine I mean Ugh. gangrene just means yeah it's decayed A raging infection muscles yeah yeah everything so after that um passed through a couple more hands but it ended up in the hands of Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette Antoinette. You were doing so well there with <laughs> your pronunciation. So Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette inherited the diamond, and on Marie Antoinette's court, one of her closest confidants was the Marie Louise, Princess de la Lambelle. Wow, these names. Whew, let me sweating. Yeah. <laughs> So one of her closest confidants uh, was Marie Louise. And so we all know what happened with Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette. They were decapitated um, and they had, uh, they had a lot of children, but all but one child died. So they were decapitated in 1793 before they were decapitated. Of course, they were held prisoners and Marie Louise, who all, often wore the diamond with permission from Marie Antoinette um, was killed by a mob with a hammer, decapitated, oh and stripped, disemboweled. Oh. Her head was then impaled on a pike and carried to Marie Antoinette's prison window for her to view her. Oh my gosh. So, besides her and Marie Antoinette, those are the only women that had been wearing that diamond. So no one else had been wearing it. Um, during the French Revolution, this diamond disappeared. And it resurfaced back in 1839 with Henry Hope, which that's whose name was carried on most recently. So Henry Hope, he's the namesake now to this Hope Diamond. He started having a string of bad luck. 
he got in such bad debt that he had to s- s- sell the diamond so that he can settle his gambling debt. He had to get permission um, from the king to sell it. And then at that point, it was sold to Dutch jeweler Wilhelm Falls. His son, Hendrik, murdered him to steal the diamond. And then his son, Hendrik, later in life, completed suicide. After that, again, we don't know how it got hand to hand, but it ended up in the hands of Greek merchant Simon Mayon Shreds. He drove off a cliff with his wife and son. Oh my gosh. Yeah. After that, in 1912... It's kind of like the Amityville house. Whoever comes into it. Yeah, you yeah. just like go insane. Uh-huh. So in 1912 is not, I mean, kind of recent history, but it isn't, it isn't. Um, so a very well-known jeweler, Pierre Cartier, comes to be the owner of this jewel. Okay. Like Cartier watches. Right. So he wanted to sell it to the American heiress, Evelyn Walsh McLean. She, at this point, did not have any interest. They met while she was on a trip abroad. And because he knew something about her as a possible customer, he put together all these possible legends, stories of mortality that followed this gem so he put together all the stories for her and told her everything that everything that's been supposedly following this diamond through history and he knew that she thought that bad luck items actually brought her good luck that's what she thought she goes oh there's no bad luck item that's going to affect me bad luck items actually bring me good luck so by him telling her all the bad luck stories that had happened with this gem, he knew that she would want to purchase it. Mm. So she bought the diamond from him, Ooh. from Cartier. So Evelyn regularly wore it. She even had a dog collar made with a hold with a setting for it for her great dane to wear it around. So when she wasn't wearing it, her dog was wearing it. Love the doggy. <laughs> so soon after she bought this diamond, her mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly. Her nine-year-old son passed away in a car accident. Her husband divorced her and was, che- well, cheated on her and divorced her. Her 25-year-old daughter overdosed. And died? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. At that point, she was forced to sell her newspaper, the Washington Post. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, and then her husband, who had ex-husband at this point, was deemed clinically insane and lived out his rest of his days in a mental institution until he passed away. At this point, she was penniless and also ended up in a mental institution completely destitute until she passed away. Did she have the diamond? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And did she ever go, huh, maybe it's like time to sell this thing? Never. It was still part of her estate. 
So, oh my gosh. So, her living children. She was penniless and she was like, no penny right. to that diamond. Her living children then sold the estate or liquidated the estate so they could settle some of the estate's debts. Yeah. And in 1949, it was bought by Harry Winston. He bought the entire estate. And there's for, a lot of big names here. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a big diamond. It has yeah. to be big names. <laughs> it has I guess. to be big yeah. names. Yeah. So for ten years, he let, I guess, uh, like a museum, a traveling museum, borrow the gem or the diamond. So if for ten years it traveled along with other diamonds that are you know one of a kind type things, so it toured the world for ten years. Um, so when it got back to the U.S. in 1959. Winston, Harry Winston, put the diamond in just a regular envelope, <laughs> paid $2.44 in stamps, and mailed it to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. That feels very risky. He put he did put some insurance on it, I think, for like a million dollars, but he really just he didn't want to just have, put it in the post. He like, just didn't want it to be his. But like, why did you buy it then? Um, I think he bought the estate in general. And it came with the estate? And it came with the estate, yeah. And he sent it to the Miss... It's still technically his, though. No, it's still his. Yeah, he's... Like, you go to an art... Like, you go to a museum, and a lot of the artwork, it'll say, borrowed from the collection of, you know, John Smith or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's currently at the Smithsonian. The... Which one? The one in D.C. There's, like... A lot of them. It's probably at, like, the Department of Treasury or something like that. There's, like, ten of them. There. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know I've that. tried to, like, I've tried to go into many of them. Oh. So, he mailed it to the Smithsonian, and the mailman, James Todd, who actually handled the package, his wife suddenly died. His leg was crushed in a freak accident. His dog was strangled in a freak accident. No. And his house burned down to the ground. Oh, my God. Harry Winston was, like, just unscarred. And the poor mailman, because you put it in the mail. Mm -hmm. I would have sued Harry Winston. (laughs) Take him for everything he got. (laughs) And he got a lot. So, the actual diamond never was on the Titanic. Okay. Okay. So I. But is it the inspiration? It's the inspiration behind the heart of the ocean, which is now knowing what the possible curse is behind the Hope Diamond. Maybe they were trying to imply that it sunk the. The Or was the reason for the hitting Mm -hmm. the iceberg and sunk it? Yeah. Exactly. And if you're a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> the government was behind sinking the Titanic, apparently. Uh, that's if you believe it was a Titanic. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> stop it right now. Oh, my God. I know this rabbit uh, hole you've been down. Oh, yeah. But oh it was like, God. I think it was another ship called like the Britannia or something like that. Something yeah. different that they needed to sink due to insurance purposes. I've been down that rabbit hole I know for you 100%. Have. I, you text me that night and you're like, did you know that the Titanic might not have ever been sunk? And I was like, I can't talk to you when you're like this. So um, that is the compilation of cursed items. Love and it. around the world. I am such a fan. Yeah. 
And there's other stuff that I haven't researched. There's a list that I put together. There's so many things. So if you want to do the other half, you're more than welcome to it. I have stuff like King Tut's Curse. Yeah. I thought that was way too big to include into this culmination. Billy the Doll. Billy the Doll. There's Lura Rock, which is in... Oh, might be Australia. I'm so sorry. Um, they sound the same. And there's one that... <laughs> There's a silver Bassano base, vase, and then there's a Thomas Busby chair. So I can cut this out because I can give this list to you. But there's a there's a lot of items out there that um, whether you believe in not or whether you know there's a curse on an item. So the the supposed curse on the Hope Diamond was that the people who look after those that Indian statue that it was stolen from obviously put a curse on whoever touches it, you know, would befall bad, bad luck. Is that the inspiration for the Indiana Jones and the curse of the something or So let me tell you this, though. While I was researching Hope Diamond, there was so many other diamonds and gems that had been stolen. And the reoccurring theme was that they were there. The majority of them are stolen from Indian statues. I believe it. So it blew my mind that I'm like, huh, that's, I can see that. And mm-hmm. there's just so many of them. There's so many other diamonds that are supposed to be cursed. And the Hope Diamond itself, it was so big at the beginning, 115 carats. I think it's less now because like after the French Revolution and so I think he, uh, Louis the 16th or 14th sent it to be recut. And other people sent it to be recut as well so that it wouldn't be recognizable Mm. as the original. So they either had multiple pieces of it or they just had it reshaped into something different. So like, bruh, it's a really big blue diamond. What else could it be? Huge ass diamond. So, uh, but that's the inspiration behind the, the heart of the ocean diamond. Um, they don't let anyone touch it. It, it is on display, but we no, don't let anybody touch anything at the Smithsonian. Well, um, sh- yes. Yeah. In general, they yeah, won't let you touch anything. But I think more specifically, shit like this, they're going to be like, mm, yeah, our liability coverage is not going to cover shit if you, if shit Cursed goes down. items or right. <laughs> not in like the Bill of Rights or whatever. Right. So, yeah, those, that's a collection of cursy things. Awesome. Yeah. Loved it. Cool. I love a good, like, spooky thing. Yeah, middle of the year. Well, middle of the year. Jesus Christ, what am I saying? Almost. Almost. Um, Let's talk about Patreons. Yes, we have a couple Patreon shoutouts. First and foremost. In the Diet Coke Fund, we have Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then we have, um, I think, somebody that you know. Yeah. Go ahead and shout her out. It's Doreen. Doreen. Have <laughs> I met Doreen? Yes. That name sounds very familiar yes. to me. Um, she was my college roommate. That's right. Yeah. Yep, I know exactly who that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love her. Love you, Doreen. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, she says you. she's been trying for a while, and I felt really bad. She's like, I couldn't get back on my account and all these things. I was like, I'm so sorry. 
She's like, she's a bona fide Patreon now. So Um, yeah, when I met her at was it your birthday? Mm -hmm. I think it was your birthday. She was like, oh my gosh, it's so weird, like seeing you talk because I listen to you all the time. (laughs) That's so funny. No, she's been like a day one supporter, and I mean, there's you know certain special people in your life, and for me, it's she's one of them. And on top of that, she was my college roommate. Lots of crazy fun memories with her. So. Love you, Dar. Love. Thank you. All right. Is that it? Um, if you haven't watched thing that thing about Pam, please go do so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you so go rewatch I, it? No, I was listening to the uh, interview that um, Keith Morrison did with Renee Zellweger on the way over here today. Oh, I haven't heard that on Dateline, um, their podcast, and uh, they said that their podcast since it launched in. 2019 i think they said it had been downloaded 19 million times i could hardly believe it yeah and then i was like i'm gonna listen to it again i loved the podcast yeah in fact i think i recommended that podcast i think it's him narrating it is the the thing right yeah so it's got that same like um, how do you put it like it's um kind of cheeky like he's like did you think we were gonna catch you you know what i mean like (laughs) that (laughs) <laughs> you think you're the only one that didn't see that? Like, so I, I like his narrative style. He's like, or did she? Right. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like the dun, dun, dun is implied yeah, in his inflections. It I totally is. It. So, and the last episode, I was watching it. And I mean, hopefully no spoilers because the story is already widely known, hopefully. But the... The way that they did the cinematography or just the the flashbacks on this, I was like, oh, Mackenzie's going to hate this, but I hope <laughs> she keeps in mind my perspective on this, on how I think they're they're trying to make this seem, which is, uh, um, I, 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 there's no other way to put it, but in her own delusional mind, how this would have seemed to her. How she perceives things. Yeah. So, mm. and there's supposed to be a new dateline with uh it's called the real thing about pam so yeah they're gonna tell like the real story like a regular dateline episode almost right with Um, no fictionalized additives to it and whatnot so um that's really funny i feel like everybody like sits on pins and needles waiting for me to watch things because they're like mccarthy's not gonna like this (laughs) no but that last episode i was like oh they're really i'm very hard to please with things yeah if i see something i don't like that's all i can fixate on yeah and then i finished watching the the one about the girl who the girl from plainsville yeah i didn't love that the documentary is better. No, yeah. I love the documentary. Yeah. Do the documentary. Um, I love you now die on Hulu. Although I did like certain aspects of it, but I think it was way too dramatized and like it was yeah too fictionalized for me. And like yeah. they filled in a lot of the holes to make the story. That's what I didn't like about it is like <sighs> they um, tried to illustrate things. Like almost. her point of view. Yeah. Things, they were like just odd yeah i didn't care for it like again the whole scene with her like seeing to herself in the mirror i'm like they're illustrating something like how they want you to interpret something by adding in fiction and i didn't like that okay anyway cool that is all that is all okay bye-bye now bye bye